Let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for the many ways that you work among us. You are a gracious God, and you continue to show yourself to us. You continue to save men and women and boys and girls. You continue to forgive us of our sins, and you continue to transform us more and more each day. God, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be faithful to your word now as we explore this new series in the Gospel of John. God, we ask that you continue to speak through your spirit, that your spirit would rest among us in such a fashion that your presence is undeniable. We pray this for our good and for the sake of your glory. Amen. The good life. Everybody wants it. There are a variety of ideas of how to get it. I wonder what you perceive the good life to be. Samantha is a 24-year-old recent college graduate. She developed quite a following on Instagram displaying what her life looks like. It's a virtual good life. The portrayal of it as she has new clothes dinners out with her friends, and even takes expensive vacations. Her life looks great on social media, but she's accumulated $15,000 in credit card debt on top of her college loans. And on the inside, she's starting to panic. Jennifer is in her late 30s, And she has, right now, what she's always wanted. A husband, four children, a house, and a dog. A picture of the good life in her mind. But on the inside, she's starting to wonder if this is really it. Is this what life is all about? On the inside... She's dead. Matt is 51 years old. He's climbed the corporate ladder. He has a successful career, loads of money. He drives a Porsche. He has a boat, and he enjoys his family. Yet on the inside, he's dead, and he doesn't even know it. Wayne is 75 years old and has reached the all-American dream of retirement. He and his wife bought their second home in a well-known Florida retirement community a few years ago where they play golf, go boating, spend time with their new friends. This is what he's been working his entire life for. This was supposed to be the American dream. But he wonders why he feels dead on the inside. These are just a few pictures of what our culture tells us the good life is supposed to be. We could probably give a dozen more. And what so many of us find as enjoyable things in life that we could point to, and and one of the interesting things about that reality is what might be enjoyable to you or a perception of the good life to you is maybe different than what it is for me or the perception of the good life is for me. But one thing holds true for everybody. Without one key component, without one key 
person, without a life giver, true life is absent. Today we start a new series in the Gospel of John that we are calling Life Giver. And we'll see how Jesus, the Son of God, is the only one who gives us true life that supersedes our external circumstances. The Gospel of John is a book about life, a life that is found in Jesus. And so I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, it's found on page 886 of the Pew Bible. And I would encourage you to turn and to follow as we read. John is writing about the coming of Jesus. And he does so in incredible form. This is, I'm sure for some of us, one of our favorite passages in the Bible. He says this. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In John chapter 1, we see the author give an incredible description and multiple word pictures of the coming of Jesus. And he describes Jesus' coming in three particular words that we'll focus on this morning. He describes word, light, and life. And they all lead us to the idea that Jesus is the one who gives life. And so let's look at them together. The first way he describes the coming of Jesus is as the Word. And as the Word, he has the power to give life. You see at the very beginning in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the fact that Jesus is introduced as the Word 
is both marvelous and incredible when we begin to understand what that means. We know that the description of the word is referring to Jesus for a number of reasons. We can see in verse 1 it's described as a person. The word was God. Verse 2, we see that he, the person, he, the word, was in the beginning. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Any Old Testament reader can recognize the significance of calling Jesus the word. The word of God is often the expression of God's powerful activity in creation, in revelation, and in deliverance. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God need only speak, and his powerful word creates things. That same word affects deliverance and judgment alike. When some people faced illness, God brought them, that brought them to the brink of death. Psalm 107, 20 says that God sent forth his word and it healed them. He rescued them from the grave. At the sound of God's word, light proceeds from darkness. The waters and the rivers part. Hearts of people soften. The dead are brought to life. By his word, mourning can turn to joy or judgment can be enacted on those who oppose him. In short, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, in revelation, and in salvation. And the personification of this word as a title applied to Jesus means that Jesus is God's ultimate self-disclosure. If you want to know God, look to Jesus. And so John 1, 1 clarifies a little bit more about the nature of this word. It says, he was with God. That is to say that he's a distinct person from God the Father. They are not one in the same. It's not one God that takes on different forms or different modes, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's actually a distinct person, God the Father, another distinct person, God the Son, and another distinct person, God the Spirit. But they are of one essence. And that's why he says the word was with God, but the word was God. That is to say that this person shares the same eternal essence, holiness, eternality, and power of the Godhead. Three persons, one divine essence. God has come among us in the person of Jesus. And the whole Gospel of John from this moment forward can be understood in this framework. That the actions of Jesus and the words of Jesus are the actions of God and the words of God. And that leads us to the second way that Jesus is described. He's described as the light. Look with me, verse four. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
and verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, the idea that light and darkness representing good and evil is seen throughout the Bible, it's not surprising that God would take one of the most common or stark physical realities to help us understand the nature of spiritual or eternal realities. And one of the things that the light does is that the light exposes things. When the light comes, it reveals the hearts of those who encounter him. And there will be no mistake. Some will see the light and they'll run toward it. They love its warmth and its clarifying nature. And the fact that the light allows them to see clearly the nature of things. Others will see the light and they will run from it because it reveals their true desires and their standing. They don't want to truly see and they certainly don't want others to see either. This is why a child tells us to look away when they're disobeying. This is why so many bad things happen under the cloak of night. This is why in the isolating darkness, sin can easily be pursued. The light exposes, and with light comes sight. And one of the ways that life is described in terms of light is specifically because it allows you to see. And one of the reasons why death is often equated with darkness is because in darkness you see nothing. There's an interesting side note here as we think about the coming of Jesus. We see that this life is the, one of the initial realities. It's actually the ultimate reality found in Jesus. And that points us to the fact that life precedes matter. Have you ever thought about that for a moment in relation to John chapter 1? It's a direct contradiction to an atheist worldview that says that matter precedes life. That somehow through cosmic forces of energies colliding and gases exploding that matter is produced and matter then ultimately brings about life somehow without any proof that it actually happens that way, or that matter precedes life, sounds like a lot of faith to me to believe in that, but here we see as clearly as it can be said that life precedes matter, that the life that is found in Jesus is there first because he creates all things, including matter. Therefore, we see the ultimate reality the ultimate reality is found in a person. If we could only grasp the magnificence of that statement. Ultimate reality is found in a person. how you view your circumstances in this world would change drastically. Another thing that we see about the light 
we see in verse 5. And that is that the light is invincible. And for some of us here today, this will be maybe our most important truth. Because in it, you will find tremendous hope. Chapter 1, verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's dark in the world today. It just takes one look at the internet or our community or our government to see that that's the case. It's dark in my thoughts, in my mind, in my experiences that I have, and I know that many of you feel the same way, that not everything is always happy and bright and light. (laughs) That there's darkness all around us, but Jesus comes as a light in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is to say, the light is invincible. No matter what darkness surrounds. The darkness that he's talking about here is the evil in the world. It's even the people of the world who do not know God. And we see here that no amount of evil, no amount of academic theory, no desire of the masses or teachings of the universities, no amount of sensuality, nor addiction, nor witchcraft will undo the invincible nature of the light. Evil will not prevail. Jesus has overcome sin, overcome death, overcome the devil, overcome the demons, and he stands opposed to all of those who are in the darkness. The darkness has not, cannot, and will not ever overcome the light. Invincible. And if he's invincible, that has great implications for us. That idea of being invincible is something that we think about from time to time. It's something that we do not see or realize truly in our time. And so we make movies about them. (laughs) Some might think that a basketball player could try to play for a team with the best player in the world on it. And let's just say for the sake of argument that that player is LeBron James. If I can only play with LeBron James, he will not only make me better, but our team will be invincible. If I can just attach myself to him, we'll never lose. But then you realize the history. For as great as LeBron is said to be, he has made the NBA Finals nine times. An incredible sporting feat. And yet, invincible he is not, as he has only won the NBA Finals three times. Attaching yourself to the superstar is no guarantee for victory in this life. Let's change the field. We can move to the idea that you're sick with a terrible illness. And you go up the road to a world-renowned hospital called the Cleveland Clinic. They have some of the best doctors on the planet in those buildings. 
knowledgeable and wise and seasoned. And you think that if I can just attach myself to that specific specialist, doctor, then I will be healed. My disease will be gone. I will be all right. And then you realize that even the best doctors in the world have patients that die. Invincible foreign concept to our human experience. But there is one who is. He is the light. And that leads us to the third description of Jesus in John chapter 1. And we might say it this way, that not only is he the eternal word, not only is he the light, but he is also the life giver. John chapter 1, verse 4, we read it a moment ago. Look at it with me again. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And here's where I really want you to focus in this morning, because what an incredible statement in its application. To say that Jesus is the light who has life, and he gives his light to humans means that he gives life by enlightening men and women and boys and girls. He gives them life. Without the life that he gives, in one sense, they're the walking dead. That's a really controversial statement in today's time. But Christianity can be a controversial system of beliefs. And Jesus speaks these similar words throughout the book that we see recorded in the Gospel of John. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or John 12, 36, while you have the light, Jesus says, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Or Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You see what it's saying, right? It's in that you, that, that you and me, when you believe in the light, you actually become light. <laughs> you once were darkness. Not in the darkness. It says you once were the darkness. But after believing in Jesus, you become the light. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And so how do you become light? And why does it matter? How do you receive this glorious light? Look with me at verse 12 and 13. He charts out from the very beginning of the book what he wants all of us to know. (laughs) But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood nor will of the flesh nor will of man, but God. There are three elements to that becoming light. The first is receiving him. The second is believing in him. And the third is being born of God. 
The first one, receiving him, you can do. The second one, believing him, you can do. The third one, being born of God, is only what he does. New birth. New life. And this light is what you become. Jesus, the true light, gives true life to those who believe. Jesus, the true light, gives true life to those who believe. And think about what that means with me. If the light is invincible and it overcomes the darkness of the world and you become light because you're enlivened by him, then what is the result for you? You become invincible. Try to grasp it. Because this changes the way that you look at your circumstances. If the light overcomes the darkness, which is sin and death and the horrible deeds of the human race and disease and on and on and on, and if the light overcomes those things and you become the light, then you overcome these things too. How so? Those who believe in Jesus still experience these things, don't they? Of course they do. They experience them. But because they have true life in them, those experiences do not ultimately define them. And so we rejoice in the truth of Romans chapter 8, that we are more than conquerors in these things. Paul writes in Romans 8, 35 and on, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? You might say, who should separate us? The darkness? (laughs) As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered in the darkness. (laughs) No. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus, the true light, gives true life to those who believe. This means that I am no longer beholden to my condemning thoughts that constitute darkness. Verse 16 says that the fullness that we have all received is grace upon grace. It means that he forgives us. It means that all of my self-centered ways that leads me to nothing, ultimately fulfilling My will will fall by the wayside and the light of true life takes control. It means that my career goals that lead to money and material possessions and more vacations or public recognition or personal achievements or incredible experience that still leave me wanting more, they're all experienced in the context or when they are all experienced in the context of the true life, the light of life, They're put in their proper position and are not understood as my ultimate reality to strive for. Because ultimate reality is a person. And those things are merely temporal gifts. And I can enjoy them for what they are, but I do not need to find my ultimate hope, my ultimate fulfillment, or my ultimate joy in them. I experience them as they're meant to be. I find my truest life, however, In the word made flesh, whose glory I've seen, and who displays grace and truth as the light of the world. It means that when 
I come down with cancer or have an accident or get old and gray and lie in my deathbed that I can have hope and confidence and security because the eternal word of God made flesh who created all things and who shines his light through all eternity has transformed me so by making me into light, into one of his children, so much so that even death has lost its sting. It has no victory because the light of life that he gives is eternal. Jesus, the true light, gives true life to those who believe in him. I wonder if you have true life. Or are you still looking for some idea of the good life? It's time to put your faith in Jesus. He's the only one who can give it to you. And I wonder if you have put your faith in him. And if so, I wonder if you find solace or hope in a passage like this, that in becoming light, that no darkness will prevail over you. No matter what you're going through today, the transforming grace of God through Jesus is on your life and you will never succumb to the dark powers of Satan who is trying to undo you. There's two purpose statements found in this book. The writer John states it at the end. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. And Jesus himself says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The true light gives true life to those who believe Or maybe you're still searching. Well, let me give you the words of a few men who have it all, who have the good life, and they're still dead. One of them is one of your favorite people. His name is Tom Brady. And in 2005, after winning his third Super Bowl, quarterback of the New England Patriots sat down and was interviewed with 60 Minutes. And he told the interview Steve Croft that it felt like something was still lacking in his life. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. Croft pressed Brady as to what the right answer was. And Brady added, what's the answer? I wish I knew. I love playing football. I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me I'm still trying to find the good life, but he's dead on the inside. Similarly, in 1999, after the international box office success of his movie called Fight Club, 
Brad Pitt was interviewed in Rolling Stone magazine, and it's just eerie how similar their sentiments are. Brad Pitt says, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, I say, toss it all. We got to find something else. Because all I know is that at this point in time, we are headed for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of spiritual being, and I don't want that. The interviewer pressed further, and he says, so if we're heading toward this kind of existential dead end in society, what do you think should happen? To which Brad Pitt replied, hey man, I don't have those answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain, and I'm sitting in it, And I'm telling you, that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything. I know. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. John chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus, the true light, gives true life to those who believe. That is the essence of the Christian life. It's the essence of a new life found in him. It's what we rely on, what we hope in, what we celebrate week in and week out. And if you are here today and you have not put your faith in the true light, then we would encourage you to wait no longer. Please come and speak with us after the service. We would love to pray with you. If you are here today and you find great solace in the fact that dire circumstances are before you, but that light overcomes the darkness, meaning that you too will overcome the darkness and would like somebody to pray with, we would love to pray with you and encourage you today. And as we move toward the conclusion of our service this morning, we celebrate life by remembering death in the Lord's Supper. So I want to ask you to take a moment of silent reflection, to pray, to ask God to forgive you of your sins, even again, and prepare for celebrating the gospel visibly in the Lord's Supper. Father God, in our quiet moments, when we are left with nothing but our thoughts and our desires and our shortcomings and our successes, we know that these external things about the good life do not constitute true life. And so we thank you for Jesus. We thank you 
that you give life by light, by allowing us to see and to know, to receive, to believe, to become children of God. And we celebrate that today, that you make it possible in his coming and you seal it for eternity by his death and burial and resurrection. And we celebrate Christ crucified as we take this supper. To the praise of your most holy name.